1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I am a coach I'm a hypnotherapist and I'm the author of two books, The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. Welcome. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. And today I'm talking to Jo Weber, who is a herbalist and Ayurvedic expert, and she works for Pucker Herbs, and we have a brilliant, fascinating discussion about things like Can herbal remedies really work? And how do they work in the body? We talk about Ayurveda and how we can use this ancient knowledge to help us in our modern lives to feel calmer and to manage anxiety. Jo shares the best herbal supplements for keeping you calm. Plus she shares her top practical tips for creating calm and balance in your life. And I absolutely loved this advice that she gave. I'd love to invite you to head over to my website, karmau.com forward slash free. And if you enter your details there, I will send you a free anxiety toolkit full of resources to help you to become your calmest self. So let's get into the interview with Joe Weber. This week's episode of the Karma U podcast is sponsored by Pucker Herbs. I'm really excited to share that Pucker have launched a new tea, Peace, an innovative hemp blend to promote calm which can be enjoyed throughout the day. It has become part of my routine to enjoy in stressful moments or when I want to switch off after a day of work. Even its beautiful packaging has a calming effect when I see it on my shelf. Peace tea truly is nature's antidote to everyday challenges. The ingredients are 100% organic and ethically sourced which means it's not only great for you but also the planet. So peace tea contains ashwagandha, an ingredient I recommend to all my clients. It naturally improves energy and calms the nervous system. Chamomile, one of the most widely used relaxing herbs around the world. And hemp leaf, a variety of the cannabis sativa plant species. You've probably heard of the calming effects of CBD, a non-psychoactive component of hemp. And the tea contains CBD plus other calming essential oils from hemp. This blend supports the mind and body's ability to cope with adapt to and look beyond daily stresses, perfect for busy 21st century living. Peace Tea is available to buy at Sainsbury's and Tesco's and I hope you love it as much as I do. So welcome Jo, thanks so much for joining me today, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Great, um, can you please tell us what it is that you do and how you got to where you are
1: today? Um, so I'm Head of Herbal Education for Pucker Herbs and um, I didn't actually start out in health and well-being I started out um, being quite an environmentalist Um, and I worked for an environmental charity and then I worked in ethical investment in the city Um, and felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders because I was reading about every social, environmental, ethical problem in the world. And uh, I actually did get burnout and had to to quit that job really um, after seven years. Um, I'd set up yoga classes while I was working there uh, and I wasn't sure what to do so I retrained as a yoga teacher and I uh, wasn't intending to teach but ended up to teach for quite a long time and then that led me to Ayurveda and I was an Ayurveda practitioner, I still am and um, after 12 years of being self-employed I really fancied working as part of a team again, part of an organisation and uh, the Head of Herbal Education job came up at Parker Herbs uh, so it's the, the right job at the right time. Brilliant,
0: okay so You've been on quite a journey and quite a change <laughs> yeah. in, in kind of career and what you're focusing on. Obviously, what you're, what you're doing is what is working with Ayurveda and herbal, herbal remedies. I guess people might be wondering, can herbal remedies actually work? <laughs> do they work or is it just like, you know, just, oh, you know, a powder or a tea or do, do they have a real effect?
1: I can, I can say hand on heart, having worked with herbs for over 15 years now, um, experienced them myself, experience them on you know hundreds and hundreds of clients is that they really do work, especially combined with personalized diet and lifestyle changes as well. Um, but I'm always humbled by how incredible um, healing herbs are and how much they can do for us. So it's not as
0: if we can necessarily just take a I don't know a herbal remedy and be cured. It probably works best when it's combined with other, lifestyle
1: changes and diet and that sort of thing. Definitely. Ayurveda's got this lovely expression that uh, food is medicine. If the diet is right, there's no need for medicine. And if the diet is wrong, uh, medicine is of no use. Uh, So herbs can definitely have an impact on their own, but combined with the right diet choices and the right lifestyle choices as well, uh, they can have even more of an impact. Um, And there can be cases where herbs can work for acute medicine. So first aid, definitely but I'd say generally herbs work best when they're used over maybe one to three months uh, for longer term conditions. Okay. So there's generally not many quick fixes with herbal medicine.
0: Yeah, so what would, it, what would an example of it being used for first aid be?
1: Oh, for herbs for first aid? Yeah. So, oh, a really nice one is if you burn yourself, um, so sunburn or a burn in the kitchen. I've got an aloe vera plant on my kitchen windowsill um, that I Occasionally, ask kind permission to snip off a leaf and put the gel on um, a wound and a burn. It's, it's super effective, and if you have got some burn, you can put a leaf in the fridge and then reapply the gel cold, um, and that can be very quick relief from burns.
0: Okay, I, I used to. Well, my parents would always do that um, when I was a kid, it never occurred to me that that was herbal a uh, herbal remedy. But of course, it is. C- can you share a bit about how? herbal medicine has been used traditionally and where where does it come from? Who who invented it?
1: (laughs) So herbs have been around for a very long time and there's herbal medicine traditions on every continent in the world. Um, The earliest actual evidence we have of humans using um, herbal medicine is from 60,000 years ago. There was a Neanderthal grave and a guy was found buried with certain very specific herbs for physical and effects on the mind as well um, that have been very purposely put there, so that's quite nice, the sort of earliest evidence if you like. Um, But we have written evidence going back 5,000 years from traditions like Ayurveda, um, the Indian science of wellness, and traditional Chinese medicine, um, Tibetan medicine, um, Australian Aboriginal medicine, um, Aboriginal medicine in South Africa. Every continent has its own native tradition going back thousands of years. So humans have co-evolved with plants, if you like, using herbs the whole way along.
0: And would it have been that they would, I don't know, by trial and error almost, have discovered these things and it would have got passed down through the generations and they figured out what worked?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, For me, what is really fascinating is that different um, traditions around the world use the same specific plant for very similar things and these cultures have never had contact with each other so it's amazing this knowledge is known in different pockets around the world and um, many of these herbs are used um, in pharmaceutical prescriptions today and about 80 percent of the herbs that are used in pharmaceutical prescriptions are used in the same way that the traditional um, cultures used them so there is this real sort of lineage of knowledge if you like
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Can you give an example of that? What's an example of something that's used in a pharmaceutical way now?
1: Well, some some herbs are still derived. So quinine, which is used to treat malaria. That is from the bark of a tree. And morphine, which is used to treat pain. That is still derived from an opium poppy. So some herbs are directly still derived from the plants, whereas others are, you know, the knowledge has been used in a different way um, by the pharmaceutical industry. But I think a really key point um, to make is the, the World Health Organization, the WHO, they estimate that 80% of the world's population are still dependent on herbal medicine as their primary source of health care. So it's quite wow. hard to forget that and easy to forget that in, in the West, where herbal medicine's very much been sidelined by the big pharmaceutical companies. But in many, many, many parts of the world, most of the world in fact, herbal medicine is the first course of cool.
0: That's amazing, that's absolutely (laughs) fascinating. How do herbal medicines um, work in the body? How do they impact us?
1: Okay, so herbs um, and plants contain many plant chemicals, um, constituents if you like. So a herb like turmeric contains about 230 different compounds. And these have an effect on biological systems much in a similar way to pharmaceutical herbs having effect pharmaceutical drugs having effect but it's thought that they're often working more synergistically because they're natural substances um, some of them are, are food in fact many of the the herbs that i prescribe you you've probably got in your spice rack at home as well um, so the idea is they're working more synergistically with the body's natural processes as opposed to, say, um, some pharmaceutical drugs, which might have more of a sort of blocking action um, rather than working with the body systems.
0: I once heard, I don't know where this comes from, someone said that f- think of food as being like a chemical messenger, sending you know, messages to your body to, to do different things. And I think we don't often think about food being that way, that it can, I don't know, switch on and off you know our gene expression and yeah have all these different effects and i think i suppose do you think we need to have respect for herbal medicine because it's easy to dismiss it as oh it's just a herbal medicine but actually they can be quite powerful almost to the extent where are there even some dangers to taking them ever would you say
1: i think it's really important to point out that herbal medicines help heal because they have an effect. Yeah. Um, I think they definitely have fewer side effects than pharmaceutical prescriptions. That's that's one of the differences is because they're working more with the body, there tend to be fewer side effects. Um, but I would always say there are some herbs that don't suit everybody. So you might just have an adverse reaction to that herb, and we'd have to find a different herb for you because we're all different. Um, I would also say if you were on any um, prescription medication to check with your doctor, Because if the herb and the prescription medicine are trying to do the same thing, like lower blood sugar levels, um, there might be an enhanced effect. So you might need to take less of that prescription medicine, for instance. Um, So it's always important to let your doctor know if you're thinking about taking some herbs. Um, And if you have got quite a serious health problem, it's always good to go and talk to a herbal or a health practitioner as well to get some guidance along the way.
0: Okay, that's good to know, that's good to know. Um, what types of herbs do you commonly recommend to people?
1: So digestive problems are so common today. I'd say um, most people who come to see me, even if it's for you know, a skin complaint, um, there's a digestive issue going on there. Uh, so that's something I really like to address first is to get the digestion working well and strong because if that isn't happening if you give someone the nicest tonic herbs in the world if they're not able to digest those tonic herbs they're not going to get those full benefits Um, and also there's just been an explosion of interest in this area of the microbiome um, the the bacteria in our gut how they can affect um, so many aspects of our health and well-being today Um, so again that's really nice backing up ayurveda's traditional view of Um, about 80% of problems starting in the gut. And now we've got all this modern clinical research backing up the importance of digestion. So I'd I'd start by strengthening someone's digestion. And this is where your spice rack comes in, is using herbs like cumin, ginger, coriander, fennel, cinnamon, cardamom, all the aromatic warming herbs as well. Um, Turmeric has been shown to be a prebiotic. So helping to support the health in your microbiome now. Um, so all these wonderful digestive spices um, that are food, essentially. We're adding them to our, our recipes as well. Um, but they work really well to help strengthen digestion and allow us to assimilate the nutrients from food.
0: I love that, that there are things in our spice rack you know, that we've already got in the cupboards that we can just be incorporating that can help with digestion. That's so... I will Such just a good add a little caveat there but,
1: but last time I looked in my mother-in-law's spice rack there were some herbs that were from the 1980s oh wow so there was the vintage spices in there oh. so to get this therapeutic effect you want to be using they can be dried but I, when I say fresh they're under six months old
0: okay um,
1: so just try and buy small amounts often so that you know the herbs aren't sitting around for two or three years um, and I really emphasize the importance of buying organic herbs and spices Um, if you want to get the most healing effect. Um, And it's for the health of the planet and for the health of ourselves, those two are so inextricably linked. Um, So buy buy fresh and often and buy organic.
0: Okay, that's really good to know, really good to know. Can we talk about turmeric? I like a turmeric latte. I actually put a recipe for that in uh, my book, The Anxiety Solution, because I looked into it for anxiety, basically, turmeric, and how that could potentially help Um, will be something to include. Can you tell me a bit about turmeric and what the benefits are and that sort of thing?
1: Sure, so turmeric's one of our, we call it one of our hero herbs at Pukka in that um, it's such a universal panacea. It's got a long traditional use by uh, Ayurveda as well as traditional Chinese medicine and other traditions. Um, So we know it's safe, it's got a long history of human use. And it really is this universal panacea um, which can help so many health problems in the body, um, primarily due to it having this really potent antioxidant effect. And also it helps encourage a um, healthy inflammatory response in the body as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's like it helps protect each of our cells as well as rejuvenate our system as well.
0: Pretty okay. powerful in one herb. Sounds, sounds good. Yeah, I'll keep on with those turmeric lattes. What's the problem with inflammation? Why is it good to have things that are anti-inflammatory?
1: Okay, so inflammation is something that our body naturally does if we get a splinter in our finger or we're exposed to a toxin. Um, So inflammation is something the body does to protect itself. Um, But the problem is when it becomes chronic and prolonged um, that it can start to um, harm the body. And chronic inflammation has been shown to be at the root of of so many of today's degenerative diseases they're called, so things like arthritis and Alzheimer's, um, cancer, even asthma. And what's super interesting is that countries in Asia, where they're regularly having, um, say, a teaspoon of turmeric a day as part of their natural diet, they've got much, much lower rates of these diseases than we do in the West, where we're not necessarily having a teaspoon of turmeric every day
0: okay so we should just be loading up on turmeric can you take can you
1: overdose on turmeric i'd say i'd say half a teaspoon to a teaspoon a day would be a good dose as okay. food um, obviously if you have got a chronic inflammatory condition something like inflammatory bowel disease and you're working with a practitioner or reading up about it then you might want to take um, turmeric combined with other herbs or in a higher dose but for healthy people every day you know half a teaspoon to a teaspoon that's a, a good amount
0: that's very manageable that's very manageable my my boyfriend can go a bit a bit excessive with things like if he starts taking like a i don't know we've got a massive bag of turmeric at home and he like
1: just ladles it in everything and i'm like don't want to, probably don't need that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it, it, it has an effect. And yeah. I think there is this thing that, oh, because because I can buy it in the supermarket, I can just take loads of it and it won't do me any harm. Um, you know, for, for some people, that is going to be too much turmeric if they're having like, you know, 10, 15 cups of turmeric yeah. tea a day. <laughs> um, so, you know, everything in moderation. Um, and I guess the other thing to point out about turmeric is at Pucker we're really obsessed with using the whole root the full spectrum, just like nature intended. Um, So I think I mentioned earlier that turmeric's got over 230 compounds in the root. Um, So there's this family of of, um, compounds called curcumins, which give it the yellow colour. But there's also some lovely essential oils called turmerones and other compounds as well. And, And we believe that all of those things are in the root for a reason. And the essential oils actually help absorb the curcumin into the body. Um, But there's a bit of an obsession with just taking out the curcumins and taking that as an isolate, which in a way is what the pharmaceutical industry would do. They'd look at a herb and they'd just take out what they think is the active constituent, maybe one or two parts, and they ignore maybe 99% of what is left in the herb. Um, So at Pucker, we're all about using the whole root because we believe that's what nature intended. And that's how you get the full benefit of that herb.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because I think we think, as human beings, we're so smart, we're just gonna extract you know, this one thing from a plant and you know, think that it's gonna have the same effect as the way that things work synergistically, and it's much better to have things in their whole form. Um, what about other things that you might recommend for anxiety specifically? Are there certain herbs or I don't know, supplements that you recommend for that?
1: Definitely. So, so after digestive problems, I would say the second most common reason is stress, anxiety, um, problems with sleep. So I think one in three people are having problems sleeping now, maybe wow. not every day. Um, and yeah. one in six people are recorded as being affected by stress and anxiety. So those are massive numbers. Um, And obviously you can help support digestion and get their guts functioning and their microbiomes in a good place to support what's known as the gut-brain axis now, but then you want to go deeper. And a wonderful class of herbs that I find so helpful for this are called adaptogens. And they do what it says on the box, if you like, they help us adapt to stress and change. And modern life is really stressful. Um, I did a mindfulness-based um, stress reduction course a few years ago, and um, I, was, I was doing it out of interest. Um, I wasn't, I, I'd sorted out my burnout issues. Um, but the lady on the course, she said, you know, even driving a car, we don't think that is stressful because we're in autopilot mode, but actually for our brain, coping with all of that information and the reactions and the reflexes that we need to do, um, even something like driving a car on, a, on an hour-long car journey is perceived as stress by our bodies. You know, taking going for a 10 mile run is perceived to be quite stressful because our body has to do quite a lot of work to bring itself back into balance. Um, I won't even mention iPhones and smartphones, but (laughs) (laughs) modern technology can also also add a lot of stress. Um, So, the key herb here, one of our other hero herbs, is ashwagandha. It's uh, an Ayurvedic herb and it's, its name is rather wonderful. It's got this Sanskrit translation of Smells like a horse is the literal translation. Brilliant, but but it's more strength (laughs) of a stallion. It gives you the endurance and the strength of a stallion um, to cope with day to day stresses and change.
0: And it's something that I take myself if I want to kind of wind down from the day, and I, I know that I might be a little bit more stressed going to sleep. I might take it before sleep, and I actually recommend it to all my clients as well. Can you explain? what ashwagandha does in the body, how much should people take, that sort
1: of thing? So the key to understanding ashwagandha is to understand our stress response, if you like. Um, it works on something called the HPA axis, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is our like master control system in the body for stress. And stress is not a bad thing. Stress is really useful sometimes. Short term stress response. Um, if we're late for something or uh, a bull is charging towards us, we need to uh, respond quickly. So stress is really useful. Um, when stress becomes um, harmful is when it's chronic and long term. So just day in, day out, everyday stress with no downtime and um, recuperation in between. And that's when our um, HPA axis, our master control system, just burns out and stops being able to produce the hormones and the neurotransmitters in this wonderful fine-tuned orchestra in a healthy stress response. And ashwagandha helps buffer that. It helps uh, modulate the stress response and reduce the effects of chronic long-term stress. Um, and we've done some research in house at Pucker to show that actually has an effect on two proteins in the brain that are really important in the stress response: um, neuropeptide Y and heat shock protein seventy-two. Not very oh, catchy, no. <laughs> but it's just really exciting when modern science and clinical trials backs up um, what Ayurveda and other traditions have been saying. Um, the other marvelous thing about ashwagandha is it's not just an adaptogen; it's also a tonic, so it does both. It helps us moderate the stress response, but it also um, nourishes um, key organs in the body involved in the stress response. Um, In this case, the adrenal glands, two little glands sit on top of our kidneys that are very important in the stress response. So it's got this lovely tonifying action as well. Um, So it's really helpful for sleep problems too. Okay. Sold. Sold.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I need more ashwagandha in my life. Yeah, from what I've read about it, it it seems so helpful and, you know, it's not as if we take ashwagandha and it's going to cure our anxiety, but it's just another thing that we can be doing, another thing that we can just add into our routine that is going to support us maybe through those difficult times or if we're not sleeping well or those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, one more thing to point out with ashwagandha is, is when you are feeling those times, you might be reaching for coffee. And don't get me wrong, I love a cup of English breakfast tea every day and I wouldn't want to give that up. But um, any more um, stimulants in the day don't do me any favours for sleep. And ashwagandha works in a very different way to stimulants like caffeine and energy drinks in that it helps us hold on and conserve energy that we need. Um, So we are acting in a much more sustained way. So it's literally the difference between a bowl of porridge and a cup of coffee. So ashwagandha is the the bowl of porridge equivalent for your body.
0: That's so interesting. I love that way of thinking about it. Is there guidance on how much we should take in
1: terms of ashwagandha? Do we need to be taking like, tablespoons of the stuff or? So it really depends on how you're taking a herb. So with herbal remedies, you can take them as simply as a tea. And uh, our peace tea has ashwagandha in it. So you could be drinking a few cups of that a day. Or you could be taking it as a tincture, um, and that would be a few drops of tincture in some water. Um, Or you could be taking it as a supplement or a tablet form, in which case you'd be taking maybe one or two supplements a day. So it really depends on what form you're taking the herb. But it's definitely important to to take the right dose for you, because just taking more and more of a herb isn't going to give you more and more of that effect. Um, Your body's going to have to be working to digest it. So, yeah, it's important to get the dose right.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, I'd love to hear some more about um, Ayurveda. So I'm going to start that again. Can you tell us about Ayurveda? is
1: it? Yeah, (laughs) sure. So Ayurveda is the traditional Indian science of wellness, if you like, and it's a sister science to yoga. So it's got a a long lineage going back about 5,000 years, um, it's an incredibly rich source of well-being knowledge, um, but in essence, it's teaching us to be um, to stay in rhythm with nature's harmony. If we're in balance with the the daily cycle, the seasonal cycle, the yearly cycle, the cycles of our life, then we will be feeling healthy and full of well-being. And something that Ayurveda brings to the table that's really unique is this idea of the doshas or your constitutional mind-body type. Uh, your blueprint if you like and we're all different so there's no one size fits all advice in ayurveda apart from maybe find out what your dosha is and then tailor your diet herb and lifestyle according to that so it offers real unique personalized advice for us so can you tell us what the
0: doshas are and how we can
1: figure out which one we are sure so the first dosha is is vata and these people are more airy, light, um, creative, energetic, enthusiastic types, so quite quick minds, um, more slender light bodies. And then there's pitta, which is the fiery, watery type, Um, so more determined, athletic, focused, um, a little bit competitive maybe, um, but quite a different body type, much more athletic and medium body type. And then you've got the watery, earthy uh, kapha types, who are much more grounded and solid in their makeup, um, much more robust, much less vulnerable to stress, in fact, than the kind of airy, light vata types. So you might find that you're sort of 80% vata or 80% pitta, but most of us, about 80% of us, are a mixture of two doshas. So then you have a blend of each of those doshas. And a really rare, tiny proportion are an exact balance of all three. And these people are super lucky because they've got the best of each dosha and they are very balanced.
0: So most of us are out of balance, basically.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So there's your constitution when you were conceived and then there's what you are today. And just as you say, Chloe, most of us are a little bit out of balance because it's quite stressful trying to Mm. (laughs) live on this planet today. I won't get into the problems on the planet today, Um, but... We live in quite difficult times. It's quite hard to stay balanced physically, emotionally, and mentally. But through putting on your Ayurveda glasses, if you like, you can start to look at what sort of food should I be eating? What sort of job and lifestyle might suit me? Even where should I go on holiday? What sort of climate? Um, Down to what sort of partner do I want? What sort of people do I want to be hanging out with who will help balance out my character and nature?
0: So fascinating. I went to see, I think it's called a Vaidya, yeah, the kind Vaidya. of doctor, an Ayurveda doctor, and he took my pulse and he said to me, you were born a Kapha, but then your childhood made you, made you Vata, but your nature is actually to be a Kapha, like a really chilled out person, but basically things that happened as a, as a child has made you anxious or more stressed. Um, so I thought that was interesting, how maybe we could be born a certain way and then we're out of balance so we're we're more vata which is the kind of like the more anxious type would you say vata? definitely
1: so Ayurveda sees this whole area of stress and anxiety as being linked to vata dosha because vata governs the, the whole nervous system if you like um, so that definitely makes Sense that, that that could be right for you, but you seem quite chilled in some ways. I'm, definitely, I'm definitely more kapha <laughs> these days. But yeah, so so the it. the challenge is getting back to to what your true nature is. So with that knowledge, you can then cultivate things that really look after your your kapha.
0: Okay, good to know. Good to know. Um, what about? Do you have any other? I don't know lifestyle tips for people who are listening who maybe their vata is out of balance or they obviously have anxiety, probably listening to this podcast. Anything else that you would, would recommend for
1: people? So I think a really interesting area at the moment is this um, area that's called circadian medicine. Um, so Western science is getting interested into cycles of nature and how things change during the day um, to the point that you could take a pharmaceutical medicine at a certain point of day when say the liver is active and reduce the dose um, because our bodies are really changing. And Ayurveda had that 5,000 years ago by saying, certain things should happen at certain times in the day. Um, So it's really nice to get up around sunrise, um, when nature is awaking to the world, and also be asleep um, as soon as you can around 10 o'clock. And I can't overemphasize how many problems are made worse by lack of sleep and how getting more sleep can improve so many health problems, especially anxiety, stress, and depression. So um, one thing that's linked to that is also eating at the right time. Um, So some people are really hungry in the morning and they definitely need a meal, so the vata or pitta types, but the kapha types might not be hungry till, say, 10 o'clock, mid-morning. And for them, it's totally fine to wait until they've got that true hunger rather than force down a bowl of healthy porridge at 7 o'clock because they've read that breakfast is the most important meal of the day there's no science that backs that fat up packed up it's a bit of a
0: does that come from the sewer companies then
1: <laughs> i don't know where it came from but, but basically eat to honor your hunger yeah and then um the sun is at its peak at midday so for most of us that's when our digestion or our, our agni, ayurveda calls it the digestive fire is at its peak so for most people having a, a decent meal between 10 and 2 makes sense and then once the sun set, we should be winding down. So really not to eat too much after seven o'clock at night for most people. And of course our whole culture's geared up to having a quick sandwich at lunchtime. And then maybe we go out or we have a sociable evening meal at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock, maybe even later when our bodies just aren't geared up to digesting or assimilating food. Um, and then it starts to impact how well our sleep is going because we can't really get to sleep by 10 o'clock if we've had a meal mm. at nine o'clock. So it's it's so simple. And I always think of Ayurveda as kind of things our grannies would have said and done. It's uh, it's not rocket science. Yeah, It's that good old fashioned common sense. Um, so having a really good daily routine. And also when the seasons change, just tweaking our diet, eating. We're coming into autumn now, which is a time of year when vata can aggravate a little bit because it's quite cold, dry, airy, windy. You think what happens to the leaves on the tree at this time of year, they kind of dry out. So um, we can tweak our diet to much more nourishing, warm, oily foods, soups, stews, casseroles, risottos, those kind of foods with lots of healthy oils. That's the perfect food for this time of year.
0: I'm just thinking about the advice my granny does give me and she does say, just have a soup in the evening. You know, she always goes on about that. So... Yeah, yeah,
1: most most grannies are quite Ayurvedic, they just don't realise it. And it reminds me of a a point I was thinking about earlier, is that all we had until three generations ago was herbal medicine. And I think it's really easy to forget that because big pharmaceutical companies are so powerful and we've been brought up to sort of think there's a kind of over-the-counter remedy um, from the drugstore for this, but that's really only been in the last two or three generations. Um, So I think we're almost... um, the lost generation that hasn't been brought up with grandparents foraging and making their own elderberry syrup and home remedies um, and using all the old remedies we used to have. So I think it's great that there's this resurgent of interest, people um, rediscovering herbal remedies in this way.
0: Yes. I've even heard that drug companies are going to the indigenous people in the Amazon jungle and getting all their ideas about their medicines and their... Um, yeah they're, all the herbs obviously and plants that exist in the Amazon jungle and doesn't seem very fair that they're just stealing that and taking that but you know the drug companies are going to herbal medicine to get to get their latest drug ideas
1: yeah some people think they're running out of ideas possibly right. <laughs> so at the moment there's, there's about 400,000 plant species in the world and about 28,000 of those are currently used for some medicinal herbal purpose so there's an awful lot of herbs that haven't been studied or explored. Um, so there is this kind of search on for the next cure for a type of cancer. Um, but looking at sustainability it is of concern that, that one in five plants is currently facing extinction. So it's even more reason to protect areas, um, really rich, biodiverse areas like the Amazon, because who knows what cures are waiting undiscovered within.
0: Mm, oh my gosh, yes. Um, amazing. This has been so, so interesting. Um, Can you share a bit about um, where people can find out about what their dosha is if they want to? Because we were talking about this before we started recording.
1: Yes, of course. So if if the uh, discussion of the doshas and what mind-body type you might be has piqued your interest, you can go to puckerherbs.com and sign up to what we call the collective. And that's a 12-week journey where you do a little quiz um, of 18 questions um, to get an idea of what your dosha might be. And then you get this lovely um, tailored advice on diet, herbs, lifestyle, what sort of yoga might be best for you. Um, If you've got children or no children in your life, what sort of dosha they might be, because it can be really helpful when you're looking after children to know what sort of food they need and when. Um, So yeah, puckerherbs.com and sign up to The Collective. Brilliant, and
0: do you have any, I don't know, one final message that you want people to, to know? Oh
1: gosh, I'm really glad I forgot to mention massage before. Okay. Um, when you were talking about Ayurveda tips. So beyond getting a good routine that works for you, Ayurveda sees massage really at the heart of health and healing. Um, there's such a strong link between our nervous system and our sense of touch in the skin, if you like. And um, obviously it's lovely to go and see a practitioner and have a massage on a, on a weekly or a monthly basis if you are suffering from stress and anxiety, and it can be so grounding. But Ayurveda also teaches us that we can do a self-massage. And it's literally getting, you know, 100 ml of warm oil, um, say sesame oil or almond oil, any oil, and um, applying it to your body and then massaging uh, for 20 minutes or so and then having a hot bath or a hot shower. And so many of my clients have found this um, so helpful because it's almost like a protective bubble. It soothes the nervous system. But when you um, wash the oil off, this little tiny layer is left over your whole body, which is like a little cocoon against what the world can throw at you that day. Um, So you can do that in the morning, maybe once a week. And then in the evening, something that's helped so many people is just do a little foot massage. Um, Ayurveda's got this concept of mama points, vital points in the body, quite like acupuncture points. And by giving yourself like a five-minute foot massage in the evening, you're activating a lot of these mama points and you're drawing down all of that buzzy energy in the head so if your mind's still going through your day um, by giving yourself like a really nice five minute foot massage you're drawing that energy down um, and a really nice oil to use for that is coconut oil and again so many testimonials that's helped people get better sleep along with taking herbs like ashwagandha
0: amazing i love that idea that's such i really hope you will do that give themselves a massage give themselves a foot massage great takeaway
1: thank you so much oh thanks Chloe it's been really fun
0: (laughs) thank you so much for listening I really hope you have enjoyed this episode I hope you've taken lots from it come on over to Instagram and let me know what you thought I'm at Chloe Brotheridge And if you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave me a rating and a review. If you've got a couple of minutes, it would mean the world to me. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you're going to tune in again. Sending you loads of love wherever you are and hope you have a brilliant week.